sometimes say hello everybody welcome to sonic talk number 357 357 i suppose um if it was a hot day i could uh, be eating a magnum ice cream or if i was into handguns i might be holding a magnum handgun which would probably not my thing really uh, a lot of uh, speculation in the chat room with us this week uh, as to what uh, the typing title says uh, it's not sonictaste.com it's sonicstate.com and uh, it's our uh, introduction sequences was uh, um, one the, the uh, KRS-AT in the chat room actually won the opportunity to have the, the placeholder for the uh, um, I'm not expressing myself right he won the competition <laughs> that meant he got to be the theme tune that was all I'm trying to say oh, we might do another one of those soon if we can f- figure out a good way to do it the problem was last time there were so many entries it took like kind of I don't know hundreds of man hours to judge it <laughs> and the SoundCloud mechanism didn't really work out so we might actually try and uh, see if we can get another one together but uh, maybe it that's was- something for the there was tons of stunning entries oh there was there were in fact i could quite easily just run a different one every week from the ones that we had there were so many that were so good uh, and it was very difficult to choose from i must say Uh, i think we should hear some again yeah maybe i'll do that that's a good idea gaz good idea uh, in which case i uh, probably should introduce <laughs> everybody but first i want to say thanks to everybody for joining us obviously this is uh, uh show is sponsored by isotope and if you have been following the show you'll know that they're giving away copies of isotope rx3 we have a winner from last week's show and we'll have details of the competition of how to win a copy in this week's show a little bit later on along with the message so that's my sort of teaser to help you tune in rather than tune out if you see what i mean i want to say thanks to everybody in the chat room also for joining us we've got a nice fulsome chat room i've been told off for saying that somebody in the comments last week said god don't say it anymore it drives me mad and then apologized so i don't know where i am quite frankly but anyway we'll uh, <laughs> we'll 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 go and get some guests Let's say, we, we heard Gaz, there's Gaz Williams, professional bass player, music technologist, music producer, gazwilliams.me. There he is, in his Bristol bass garret, if there's such I, a thing. Uh, <laughs> thank you very much. Um, I got something today that I think is interesting to show. It's one of these. Uh, I haven't even took the plastic off it yet. What's that, cigar case? Battery? Nope. 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 Can it's anyone tell what it is? I can make midi. Thunderbolt hub. It is. Oh, buy that uh, man a drink. What? Robbie gets it in one. Excellent yeah. work. Uh, so, this so, is interesting. It's I a think Thunderbolt just peel the plastic off. It's interesting oh, it's because um, out of all of various Thunderbolt docks around, this one has still got a Firewire port on, on it. Ah, yeah. So, from a musician point of view, you know those Firewire <laughs> interfaces—they're not going to be going. A, they're not going to be going away for quite a while, I don't think. But yet. Peripheral manufacturers just seem to have just dropped it like a stone now, sort of firewire. So, uh, so this thing as a future proofing is quite nice. Uh, if, if you have like an iPad Air, ooh, hang on. Oh, you've got a little bit of. Ah, oh, here we go. <laughs> That's very pleasing, always. Um, but it also is USB three ports on it, so it's oh. like on my on my laptop. I don't have USB three; I only have USB two. But so through this, I get three usb three ports but some of you might remember when i was moaning uh, i on my laptop my macbook that i've got here i took out the optical drive when i realized that for me optical optical drive oh, yeah you put dead. a second drive in it didn't you yeah 
Hmm. And in doing so, killed two of my USB ports, which was uh, has been a real disaster. Yeah, really. that is, yeah. isn't it? Because I have got 24 USB devices hanging off one USB wow. port off my laptop at the moment, um, which has generally been okay. But some things I've discovered, like I was mentioning, the Leap Motion needs yeah. like like a whole port to itself for it to work really well. Anyway, that was my little piece there. But um, Well, was yeah. it expensive? Oh, it was expensive. And do you know the crazy thing about it is it doesn't come with a Thunderbolt lead. Uh, so no. I did... I ordered a lead, but that hasn't come, so I can't oh, I know. put the whole Mark's, Mark's holding up something very exciting there. Well, I may as well introduce Mark oh, Tinley there. Woohoo, look at that. A bunch of keys. A dongle, a collection of dongles. <laughs> On a little thing, because I don't have enough USB ports either. I don't, I, you just can never have enough USB ports, can you? I've got enough. I've got none. How many I, have you I got? I did have enough, and I used it all up. Ah, <laughs> well, I've got, t- I've got two. But um, I have a USB hub, but I don't use a lot of USB on this uh, this system here. The, the other one, I've got a seven port or something. Anyway, but yeah, I've got some stuff that I do need to use. So if I had, if I had two, and I plugged my iLock in and my e license, so that would be it, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah, then you'd need a hub, which well, you have, yeah. so it's all all right. <laughs> uh, Mark, very quick, very quick, Nick. Oh, hello, yeah. I also say hello. Oh, sorry, I did, sorry. I, I didn't mention that hub cost. Uh, I got it from Amazon for £150. Okay, that's cheaper than well, I thought. 300 quid to begin with. Yeah. Well, uh, as we've talked about before, Thunderbolt has uh, undergone uh, a licensing uh, makeover. Um, since they, um, in, they brought out Thunderbolt 2, they dropped the licensing amount on Thunderbolt 1, Thunderbolt 1, Thunderbolt 1 uh, which means that uh, obviously the, the peripherals are starting to be affordable because the licensing that, on the ports was the thing that yeah. really killed it. And that... That hub is a Thunderbolt that, one. Yeah. That's a good point. Okay. That, Does yeah. it come with um, drivers for your USB 3 port? Because He's um, just I opened it. We'll find out. <laughs> to my computer and it wouldn't work. If it had yeah. come with a Thunderbolt lead, then I'd be able to plug it all in, but I have to wait for that. Oh, well, okay. Yeah. Uh, and finally, um, we'll also say hello to... <laughs> Mr. Robert Bronneman in uh, his <laughs> studio there with uh, with his 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 her suit twin who's called yeah. Andy oh, yeah. Hunter. The, these two guys are actually uh, Sushi Friday Music. If you've been following them on YouTube, uh, you'll uh, uh, sorry on uh, Facebook, you'll be no, they're making an analog album. And this is uh, you at the end yeah. of one of your sessions at the moment. We are. We have part way through three days. We've done and we've we've gone all kind of. Well, we started kind of very sort of ambient, and it's kind of gone very Van Kellis. <laughs> but it's all good fun. Only way to go. Yeah, it is the only way to go. We've been, it's been a lot of fun this week. Yeah, so. We even managed to fit in uh, Anchorman 2 last night. Which yeah. was all good. Oh, right, having time off and everything. So, Andy Hunter, yeah. um, what's, your, what's your role in the proceedings? Because I know what, we know what Robbie does. Robbie's a record producer and uh, composer, etc., film composer and songwriter. And, uh, yeah. So what do you do then, he said, in a sort of casual cocktail party kind of inquiry? Well, me and Robbie have known each other for about 20 years. And I've been, a, my main thing is a DJ. Uh, but I've also ended up producing, and then we work on uh, film scores together. Ah. Um, so me and Robbie got back together when he was producing some of my records um, about five years ago, and we we started working together again, especially on the um, film score. Yeah. Okay, right. So have you been having fun? How's the session gone then? Have, have you finished editing the hi-hat part, or is there a, have you been no, going through it like crazy? We've done much more this week. It's... Um, we just did loads of passes with the. Um, we were using the Intelligel Metropolis step sequencer, 
Ah. And uh, looking it up to, funnily enough, we actually managed to get some musically meaningful stuff out of my polygamist. So we kind of we kind of hooked the polygamist up with the um, the mutable instruments braid, and we kind of used it like as a kind of two oscillators, one off each, and we got all these lovely organic parts and layered them up and then did some pads on the old Casio PX5S and yeah it's coming on nicely. Excellent. Uh, the uh just out of interest the mutable instruments braid is uh is that the thing that will take uh allow you to take a MIDI input and it'll it'll drive up to four things and you can have either four monos or duo and pads and polyph- the braid, No the braid is actually an oscillator. It's their, it's so their far of, off the mark. <laughs> yeah, it's their oscillator but it's got it's got all these different models in it so it's got granular stuff it's got analog stuff it's got um virtual modeling stuff it's really interesting at oscillator so um it can do drum stuff yeah so all right interesting if you want an all-in-one that's really versatile that's a really good one to get uh, okay, that's good. I uh, I'm, uh, sadly had to take the uh, IntelliGel module I just uh, I finished reviewing, which was the Atlantis, which is a really lovely thing. Uh, I've had to I've unscrewed it from the rack today and put it in a box to send it back to where it, whence it came from. I with great dismay I must say I, I'm so tempted, but I just haven't got the money to start splashing out. I think I don't need it. You know, I just really like to have it. <laughs> but but anyway, I'll just have to live with myself for for, for that. Um, let's get some on some topics then. Um, let's start with uh, what have we got? Um, what was the first one in the list? Ah, interesting theory on earbuds. I think I actually probably need to uh, drop that into my um, browser and then you can see it. This was uh, on the Forbes site. This is uh, how earbuds have changed the sound and business of pop, and it's written by a guy called Nick Mesite, or Messit. I, I I hope I'm not pronouncing that wrong. I'm probably a Messit Messit Uh Anyway, uh, he was basically his thesis basically seems to be um, that mix that mixes and mixers have kind of changed as a result of our listening devices. I know we've talked about mobile phones before, but earbuds uh, originally were always well were very often actually just really cheap, crappy kind of things that were the cheapest way to get sound out of a device, you know, and it's not a headphones. And that they've become much more of a utility thing. And it's changed the way that's, that records have been mixed. Like, for instance, one of the examples he uses is the fact that, you know, in hip-hop, obviously 808s uh, are, are very prominent. And on crummy earbuds, you're not really, you're not really likely to be able to hear them. So they've been mixed up, maybe tuned up, pushed out the upper mids out so you can hear them within this new stuff. And I thought that was quite an interesting theory about how that might have affected the whole sort of notion of the way that records are mixed, whether it's a a, a conscious thing or a subconscious thing. I don't know. I'm going to go to you, Robbie, first, because you're probably mixing records uh, of that nature at the moment. And also, um, I guess you'd probably have an opinion because, you you, you know, a lot of the stuff that you're going to be doing now is for digital download, so presumably he's going to work out, end up on buds, right? Yeah, I mean... I mean, is it that different? I mean, we've been listening to music on the go, haven't we, since like the early 80s with Walkmans. And, and uh, were those crappy headphones that used to have like orange foam on them, or, you know, those Skilo headphones, were they any No, any they were better? worse, weren't they? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, any better. So we've been listening to portable music on the go with crap headphones for years, haven't we? I mean, long before the iPod. But I mean, I mean, it does, it does affect how you do, you know, how you approach music because... You, you used to make music and think, oh, it's just got to sound great when people want to listen to it at home or in the car. But now you have to think, oh, does it sound good on a laptop? Does it sound good on these headphones? So you do have a kind of different strategies, like the article said, for 
certainly kind of trying to make bass come through on all the formats you can. You know, whether that's like overdriving frequencies and bringing out harmonics or using things like the, you know, Voice of God kind of plugins to add stuff. So, yeah, I think it has changed. That's a very interesting point. Uh, um, Mark, uh, it's very true about the Walkman headphones. I remember as a kid, you know, or whenever I've had Walkmans and I, maybe you're listening in the car or trying to hear something, you know, you kind of end up doing this and cramming them to your head to get a bass response out of them. So maybe earbuds are actually better than that. So maybe this is a flawed article. But I think there is an element of truth in it, right? It depends how deep down into your ear canal the bud goes, actually. The ones that go inside your actual ear canal have a much better bass response to them. It's when they sit right out on the edge of the ear canal that they sound crappy. Um, but then those original earbuds, I mean, I remember being like six years old and I had an AM radio and I had this kind of white earbud, mono earbud thing that I stuck in my ear and listening to Radio Luxembourg in the middle of the night, you know, and I wasn't meant to. Um, uh, uh, yeah, obviously that sounded truly awful. So maybe I've grown up with truly awful sounding music and I missed something. Uh, I missed the whole era with those great big cones that they put on the 78, you know, like a horn and a dog. <laughs> uh, there was a very interesting um, factoid I heard about, uh, I think it was Alexander Graham Bell, uh, who taught his dog to speak by uh he'd get it to growl and he put his finger in its mouth and he could sort of get it to kind of articulate and if it apparently uh, ended up saying something along the lines of uh, hello grandma you know in a wow that's which is kind of that's <laughs> really? completely off the record that's uh, I, I think i heard that on a um there's a program on radio 4 bbc radio 4 in the uk which is uh, a bunch of comedians uh a bunch of comedians talking about um facts and they've got to try and get them past i think that might be rich dialing in so uh, just one second headphones do seem to constantly evolve don't they because yeah i bought some yeah. recently and they're really really good they send looks like we have a rich hilton in the house um Whoa. let me see i will quickly hey rich oh hey, wow guys. you're you're in uh one bit one bit japanese uh, Chinese internet mode. <laughs> wow. Now, this is this is truly international. Um, Rich Hilton, of course, is uh, in China at the moment, I believe, um, about to do a chic gig. Um, and well, having just done one. Having just done one. Jeez, oh, I, I, that's, that's even better. <laughs> yes. Well. For us. I don't know sorry, about for you. You probably need to go to bed. <laughs> Rich Hilton, of course. No, well, I, I'm afraid I don't have a, uh, a, a, a lower third for you because it was an open slot and I couldn't quite figure out. Rich, is, uh, whereabouts are you in China, Rich? <laughs> uh, if I could even pronounce, I don't even know. But uh, <laughs> I could tell you this. I could tell you, I, I, I can't even pronounce it, but we're about four hours north and west of Shanghai. Okay. Wow, what an experience. Cheek in China. How did the show yeah, go? How did the show go? Was it an outdoor gig? It was an outdoor festival, yes. Oh, cool. Went well. Excellent. Well, glad, very to, well. glad to hear it. Um, we were just talking Do about... sound okay? Yeah, it's okay. It's a little roomy, but, you know, that's really no problem at all. Uh, I'd like to introduce you briefly to... Uh, here is uh, Robbie and his uh, creative cohort in Sushi Foreign Music. This is uh, Andy Hunter. Hello. Hey, Andy. Hi, Robbie. <laughs> Hi, how you doing? <laughs> I'm all right, thank you. 
So, Rich, we were just talking about the uh, the notion of uh, how mixing has changed and whether it, it's the down to the proliferation of cheap headphones, shall we say, perhaps not just earbuds, but cheap headphones generally. Okay. Hasn't changed my mixing. Ah, well, there we go. That's an interesting point. But um, there was an art. There's basically an article in Forbes by uh, Nick Messita, who I again probably mispronounced. And uh, he was suggesting that you know that that mixes have needed to be not maybe it's just a mastering thing where everything the bass has kind of been brought up. But then uh, I think uh, was it Robbie or Mark's point about the the fact that um, that the crappy old headphones from Walkmans, which were just sort of you know the little bit of wire and these sort of bit dabs of foam that just couldn't convey any bass at all were much much worse than we get with than earbuds these days i suppose i guess so <laughs> oh. for me but fitted the only thing that gives me true bass response are those fitted earplugs i wear on stage right now, even these really nice sure ones that i'm wearing right now uh, the 535s, which are not custom ear molds, uh, don't give a consistent response no matter how I seem to set them up. But uh, yeah, I don't mix to my belief in what people are going to be listening to it through because I can't possibly mix for everybody. So I mix for what sounds good to me and uh, hope that it translates well for them. Yeah, I think that's a fair point. Um, what about you, Gaz? Are you kind of working on the... Uh, do you work... To, to, does it affect the way that you do things or you just think, you know, whatever, it'll be, it'll be, leave it to the mastering engineer? Well, you know, the things that always sound good on headphones, no matter what quality headphones, rubbish headphones or expensive headphones, are like really well-mixed things from the past, like take Fleetwood Mac Rumours, for instance. That's never sounded bad to me on any system. So I think that, you know, I think Rich... I think... I, I'm with Rich, though, about it in terms of I think that if you mix something that's that's good, you know, that should that should con convey. However, this I guess, though, this topic really does revolve around more of a kind of urban hip hop kind of slant, really, doesn't it? Um, I guess. Yeah. Uh, and in that case, oh, yeah, don't don't really know. But um you know, I've mentioned on the show numerous times, I'm still waiting for this Wooja, which is something I paid into Kickstarter for some time ago. And it's like a haptic response. It's a little box that you put on your sternum. There's a little place that they've identified and it vibrates. So when you listen with headphones on, then it's actually giving you vibration into your body. That's the theory. I'm not sure how good this thing's going to be. But, um, you know, you need That's you need that. really you? impressive. I think yeah, that, it's called yeah. a... I think that's got to make sense because, I mean, there's no way, I mean, even if you've got really well-fitting earbuds, the fact is that, you know, you don't feel bass through your ears. You feel it in the rest of your body. So you're going to be, aren't you going to be massively overcompensated by trying to get it all in the bass? I mean, no, you, by getting it all in the buds. Maybe. But, um, nipping it in the buds? Yes, perhaps. <laughs> I'm, I'm with I with Rich with the old live ones because if you've got like ultimate ears or or ACS like really good live um, drivers you know they've got like quad drivers in them the bass response you can get on some of the in ears now are, is amazing yeah but I mean you're yeah. talking hundreds, hundreds and hundreds of pounds and they are molded to your ears but um yeah. yeah 
well, guess the thing is, they've got to be tight in the ear canal yeah. to get the bass yeah. response. They need to be absolutely fitted to your ears, and then you get the bass. You adjust the bass response by changing the size of the hole on the outside of the unit. So they have those little plugs that go in the side, and they've got different size holes in, and that will change change yeah. your subjective bass response. Huh. Yeah. Um, there was a thing that uh, I think called ear candy, which uh, we saw at the Brighton Music Conference, uh, which was like a a, a mould that you put you you'd wrap it round your actual buds and then stick it in your ear, so it would seal all around it, and then take it out and it would well, set that looked kind of interesting. Yeah, sure does that too, and I believe Future Sonics does it too. You get the uh, the foam molded ones that are supposed to expand to fit your ear canal, but they don't. They don't work well for me. They don't work for me. If yeah. I'm standing on stage, I know this will sound weird, but if I'm standing on stage and I look at the audience and I smile, it's yeah, completely it changing the bass Oh, response. wow, yeah, of course, because the facial muscles will change stuff. That's an interesting thought. Uh, <laughs> well, th- you know the answer to that, Rich, is obviously, you know, you need to, you need maybe, uh, maybe smile. just not to smile, yeah. <laughs> frown a lot. Yeah, yeah frown a lot. Frown uh, Andy, uh, sorry, uh, can and, I, can oh, yeah. I jump in? Uh, just while we while you're talking about smiling, there is a new iOS app uh, for it's a sheet music app, and uh, to turn the pages, you smile, and it, the the camera recognizes it and turns <laughs> like, the page. That's that's neat. I like the sound of that. That's kind of fun. Oh, I'd be in big trouble. Yeah. <laughs> Andy, I wanted to ask you because you're a DJ. I mean, headphone yeah. wise, what is it you're using? You use kind of big cupped kind of stuff, or no, no. Well, I've just uh, the last six months, I've gone on. Over to in ears, I use uh, a company called 1974s, um, and they they're just amazing with six drivers in, and um, it's so, yeah custom done all the mold, and for me it's made a huge difference mainly for protection, just because obviously in clubs the music's so loud I want to protect my ears for when I do six studio drivers work. six drive yeah yeah six drive they've six now come out with an eight drive wow yeah. they must be the six size drive. of pinheads. You A do one, I think, with 11 drivers in. It's like 1,400 quid. But they are, they oh. are, they, are, they, are they made by nano, nanobots or something? I mean, I can't... When, uh, when I was in uh, Popea in the opera in Paris, we had five drivers, but we had them yeah. fitted by this guy who came and did laser readings of our ear canals to measure the hairs off our ear canals to, to tailor it, the sound, so specifically to our wow. ears. As well as having them moulded, they just... You know, they took these strange and they, still they got them. put fired frequencies in, and I think recorded the frequencies or wow. something. It was really strange. That does sound weird. Are you uh, sure he wasn't like the audio equivalent of that woman who used to mold, make molds of um, pop stars' bits? Cynthia, Cynthia <laughs> Plasticaster. <laughs> He's actually got a collection of them somewhere in a sort of Paris dungeon, like all the in-ear molds from all these various <laughs> people. <laughs> I'm sure that's not the case. Just, just my twisted mind. <laughs> Just said, um, on the subject of in ears, there are these new ones by a guy named Jerry Hardy who did all the original Ultimate Ears designs before Ultimate Ears went over to Logitech. And he's got his own company now, and he's got a whole big line of different ones. And some of them have as many as eight drivers in each ear. Yeah. Wow. Dual four way uh, systems in each ear. That's astonishing, isn't it? So, Rich, tell me and about. They are very expensive, and they, right. they are very expensive, and they make these shells out of carbon fiber, if you'd like. And wow. they'll, uh, they're, uh, that's probably going to be my next in-ear purchase whenever that happens. Wow, that sounds awesome. So, Rich, tell me a little bit about doing a gig in China. Then, is it your first? Well, no, we were in. 
I guess, I don't know, if you want to include Hong Kong. I, we played in Shanghai, like, in late November of last year. Uh, and okay. uh, we played in Hong Kong, um, which is technically not China. But And we've played in Macau, which is technically not China, but it's attached. And uh, so this is really the first one, I'd say, inland. Right. You know, not in the major city. And uh, it was very interesting. It was. Did you get to? You, was, I mean, it, was, was all the gear familiar and stuff? I mean, it's just kind of hiding, or is it? Uh, is it kind of Chinese brand stuff? Because I mean, obviously, they manufacture got a huge manufacture base of their own kind of stuff that we may not be aware of. Oh, at which point the Chinese government cut yeah. <laughs> cut the connection. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah. Click. Uh, I'm sure that's not the case. Rich will join us again uh, as soon as he possibly can. You ever done any gigs in China, Robbie? Because I know you do, you go about all over the place with uh, Howard. Uh, I've never been. No, I've never done any gigs in China. No, it's one of those places on my kind of list of intrigue to go to, kind of. Yeah. But I, no, I, yeah. I nearly I, I, I nearly went with Beringer, but uh, um, I, I didn't. Um, but uh, yeah. What about you, Mark? Did, did um, Duran play in China? I'm sure they did, didn't they? Were you involved? Yeah, that was after I became an at-home dad, though, so ah. I, I missed out. No, well, it's probably... Uh... I was doing probably changing nappies or something. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Well, uh, as I say, we seem to have lost Rich. I'll tell you what we'll do. Uh, maybe now it's the good... Oh, no, here he comes again. Maybe now what we could do is... We'll see if Rich can join us back. But while he's there, uh, what we'll do is... Uh, I think I'll do the ad. Uh, and then, after the ad, I can announce the winner of the competition and set the new one. What do you think of that? That's thrilling, no doubt. Okay, so uh, I'm pressing the button. Um, this, obviously, uh, is brought to you by Isotope. Isotope are uh, the show sponsors. And we're talking uh, about RX3. There is going to be a change of product next week, but that's something that you can be very excited about. Uh, uh, I'm worth tuning in for. Uh, basically, this is uh, the perfect suite for restoring, audio engineering, uh, recording, post-production, archiving, broadcasting, forensic, and much more. Uh, as well as reducing the artifacts, it can enhance them as well. So you can sort of increase uh, the reverb uh, or, or decrease increase it with the D-Reverb module. You can clean up dialogue on the fly with Dialogue Denoiser, new audio standard for the real-time dialogue treatment. You can monitor your audio and loudness compliance using Insight. Uh, you can turn flawed audio into pristine usable media uh, material using Denoise, D-Clip, D-Clip, D-Crackle, Spectral Repair, and more. Uh, there's so much to it. And also, RX is on sale through May the 1st. So if you buy it today, you could save yourself 100 bucks on the regular version uh, or uh, 749 from 1199 That's kind of 250 bucks from RX3 Advance. Uh, thoroughly recommend you do that. Um, I mean, we use it all the time. It's great for kind of reducing room sounds if you've got a, a particularly roomy uh, recording, particularly with video where sound is so important. It's used a lot in that but you can use it in many, many other ways too. So uh, I do heartily recommend you check that out and also we do have a winner for uh, this week's show, uh, for last week's competition. Uh, the winner is in fact um, if I scroll down here uh, the, you had to basically uh, tweet, you need to be on Twitter to uh, to join this competition uh rx3 d click and the winner is Stu mcray uh Stu mac 303 and he tweeted the relevant stuff and what we did is i just do a search on the hashtag that you send out and then i pick a random number with a random number generator and that's the person that wins so it's all i don't even know where they are but of course it's delivered digitally so this is the wonderful marvel of everything uh, isotope will be sending him a code if he makes himself known to me then uh, i can get his email address i'll try and contact him via twitter as well but we do have another competition this week 
you could win Isotope again. And the the odds are good, I have to say. So um, win Isotope RX3, uh, you have to have, with the hashtag RX3 Audio Rescue, and you, at, you, you send that out to at Sonic Nick and at Isotope Inc. And I will get a big pile of um, responses, and then I will pick that from next week as well. So please do join us in the competition. You will need to join Twitter. That's the only way we can take it at the moment. But uh, that's just the way it goes. So RX3 Audio Rescue, at Sonic Nick and at Isotope Inc. And you could win a fully working, free gratis version of Isotope 3. But if you just want to find out what RX3 does for you, uh, all you have to do is go to isotope.com forward slash RX3 and you get a 10-day demo as well. So there you have it. Uh, I we- think... I think that software is absolutely mind-blowing. I just have to... I'm so excited to to say something. I can't understand that D-Reverb plug. I mean, not that I can't understand. It's incomprehensible to me that I can put that plug in across something. I've been doing drum loops, and I've just gotten like... Once you stack loads of reverby drum loops together, you get like kind of a whole load of mess. So if you stick that plug in across it, it just kind of takes the reverb off, obviously. And then I'm like looking at my machine going... How is it doing that? Because it's not leaving loads of, you know, that kind of garbled mess that most of these um, uh, spectral processes do to things. It just sounds like I've turned the reverb down. And then I'm thinking, like, the other thing you can do, we will try and deaden our spaces for recording and then uh, put the reverb back on again artificially. But I reckon that this is going to bring about whole load of people that are going to be recording in spaces and using that sound and then you can bring the yes, reverb Yes, that, that's the other thing that uh, we did a gr- we did a really good presentation with Matt Hines who came in and said the other thing is you can use it creatively because you can actually turn up the ambience and all the yeah. noise, you know, there, there's all sorts Have of you, ways. You can solo, you can solo what it's taken out and yeah. that is amazing. You can I've get done that. Yeah, wow. and, and, and especially it's, rhythmical it rhythmical stuff. You get these incredible so sort of sounds. I haven't tried uh, that. Could you get it working in real time on a plug-in so that it it worked like an effect send? <laughs> that would be pretty awesome, wouldn't it? Or is that just yeah. going too no, you, a bit too bonkers? You, yeah, you yeah, you could, could actually. Do. Yeah, you definitely um, could. And that's a brilliant idea. Ah. <laughs> it is a good idea. I love the idea. I might have to try it now. Uh, okay, well, <laughs> let me know how you get on. Um, so, uh, we've done earbuds. Um, I think... Uh, I won't do that one. I think we'll do... Um, let's do something which has a video, because I think that might be um, uh, fun too. Ah, yes. More Moog. Uh, as we know, Moogfest was last week. In fact, Rich Hilton played at Moogfest, and um, it was... I've never seen so much coverage for a festival. It b- broke out into all the mainstream. We did uh, we did the thing with the Werkstatt, which was really interesting. People were very, very keen on that. Uh, but I have... Um, this was uh, very fascinating, so I'm going to play it. How are you? Hello. That's Mike Adams, Moog, uh, Moog CEO. Looks like he's got a couple of things under the covers there. I'll probably scroll forward here because I can't... I don't think I don't know how long this video is. I didn't get the chance to fix. So we'll scroll forward. He's talking about uh, what it's going to be. Oh, look at that! It's it's a goddamn Emerson modular. Can you believe that? There was a. This is what's so funny. Last uh, April Fools, um, they said, "Oh, we're going to make a Keith Emerson modular minus the rocket launchers," and everyone went, "Oh, ho, 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 how hilarious!" And they have. And you can buy it. Um, you do need to find out. Well, I don't know how much it's going to be. There's been speculation. Yeah, I've been wanting to know that. Uh, a lot of people saying um, 100 grand. 
80, 250,000, whatever. What they've done is they've gone back, they took all the original circuit boards, they did all, you know, they basically remade the, uh, is that a 55 system, Rich? It's bigger than a 55. But it's the 55 component kind of stuff. Well, Emerson actually started with a system 35, and I saw him tour that on the Tarkus tour in 1971. Tarkus. And this thing is the behemoth that they created for the brain cell and surgery tour, including the fake video monitors on top and all of that nonsense. I wonder, what this thing is. I wonder if they actually... Um you know, like when you get those Marshall stacks with kind of uh, heavy metal bands, they're all, a lot of them are half depth, and and uh, you know, they're, they're, there's a lot of a lot of uh, showmanship there. Not all of them work. I wonder if that 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 system was all fully functional. There seems to be a lot of discussion about that. I, I wasn't there, and I don't know, but I did see photographs of the back as compared to the back part of Emerson's mug, which was purportedly there, and uh, it looked pretty much like they had remade what was there cool that's at a, full size and one a, wonders about the whole at full size thing because you can't really right now i don't think they have any plans to sell you a 921a oscillator uh well that was the question that uh, i meet because i was talking to i went to uh the moog ensemble uh rehearsal yesterday will gregory's uh, group with uh, various monophonic synthesizers and they were playing brandenburg uh, concerto movement three and it was absolutely amazing and uh adrian utley who's a very uh, a keen collector he had um this it's a German man, oh, a Belgian manufacturer called uh, Club of the Knobs. Very unfortunate name if you're in the UK, but they, he's built replicas of these Moog systems. I think that the, 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 the smaller, the 55, the, it's the 3C, isn't it? The little cabinet. And uh, a, the first thing Aid said, are they going to release the individual components? Because that's what I want. And I'm guessing, Robbie, you're quite keen on that. <laughs> Questions like that, right? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, it's, yeah, I mean, I, I don't really know much about that. That, that that large format modular stuff. I mean, it is very it's very enticing, but I mean, it's going to be it's going to be crazy money. I mean, isn't it? If they release those 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 um, oscillators and stuff, it's going to be like two grand a piece or something. At I, least I, I, I would imagine it's going to be expensive. But yeah, what's what's interesting about the whole notion of this is. Um, Lots of people now who I who I you know people I know who are collectors actually are treating these things as investments because it's you know if you haven't got a pension or you you know you're you're a working musician you can you can buy this stuff and you can just you know, use it or put it away but it, it, it only goes up in value so it's kind of like vintage electronics as an investment is a really good idea and I'm wondering if Moog have just thought you know what that's a really smart idea so we just make really expensive stuff. And people will buy it, and it'll only go up in value. I mean, obviously, it's going to work as well. And they do. I mean, I have to say because Adrian Utley has got uh, the Moog oscillator and the Moog filter, and we put them. We're going to hopefully might film a kind of what the Club of the Knobs one sounds like and what the original sounds like. And we had a listen, and it sounds absolutely flipping massive. The uh, Moog one. I mean, it's just you know huge. There's just no nothing missing, <laughs> and everything everything to gain. But it's a great idea. But yeah, I mean. Rich, I mean, you, you see these things cost. I mean, when you see them secondhand, there was a sixty, there was a nineteen sixty five Moog system. Quite recently, I think we talked about it on the podcast, and it, we have no idea what it went for, but it must have been an enormous amount of money. So I'm guessing these are going to be premium, primo. I guess they would be incredibly expensive. I wonder how many they could actually make, and you know, because it says "please ring," it says "please ring" for more information. <laughs> I wonder how many phone calls they get from from just sort of you know tire kickers and stuff. I mean, you imagine they've got to have to hire a whole new load of stuff. <laughs> we watched. We watched I just, an extensive. I, 
Go ahead, Robbie. Sorry. I was going to say, we watched an extended video of that whole presentation, and they were talking about the guy who's made, I don't know how many they've made, if that's just the one they've made so far, but he'd like sourced all these parts from around the world, and he was inside like electrical components, scrubbing them down and stuff to try and ah. salvage enough components. So, I mean, how many of those can they do? Yeah, I suppose if you're going to do it that way, that's going to be, yeah, that's going to, it's going to be a very um, limited run, I guess, isn't it? Can, can I say something? Yeah. Um, the Keith Emerson, like Emerson, Lake and Palmer in Britain have been sort of considered a joke for many years, certainly with people more of my generation, you know, really, really disdain, a lot of disdain towards them. And uh, so I think it's quite interesting in a way that when it, when it comes to the, the synthesizer stuff, that he gets all his credibility back. Um, but I really recommend people listen to uh, Takata of brain salad surgery to hear just how what that synth sounds like and just how amazing it sounds. It's it's quite interesting. That album was used to demonstrate hi-fis back in, was it 1974, 1973, 1974? Uh, and that song particularly was used because of its kind of extremities of tone. So it's actually that song for people who maybe not so aware of Keith Emerson stuff, I think it is a really good place to, to start really, because it sounds amazing. Oh, that's that. I definitely. I, I must admit, I, I, I agree. Because, sound, sorry, go Mark. I was going to say, it didn't sound amazing when I got it. Cause I got it free on the front of Melody Maker or New Musical Express, I can't remember which one, on a flexi disc. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> it's here, bud. Yeah. <laughs> so that shows how old I am, doesn't it, I suppose? But. That is awesome. Uh, it's interesting you say that about credibility because it's very much, it is a UK thing because I think what happened was is um, Emerson, Lake and Palmer and those really massive prog rockers who, ha- who were touring with huge amounts of ar- uh, uh, Arctic stuff uh, were seen very much... Um, as the old guard when punk and uh, certainly new wave and electro electro electronic music came through and that, that it was seen as this sort of real excess and it's it's curious i don't think that that happens so much everywhere anywhere else in the world as the perception of them i think perhaps in the states that that hasn't really happened but definitely it was in the uk it's a curious phenomenon i don't Absolutely. know why that is necessarily but does it oh, come I have a with theory about that it's going to make me really unpopular <laughs> i don't know <laughs> is it <laughs> Yeah, you guys reject everybody when they become famous. Yeah, there's a thing. There's a thing about it. It's it's and it's the a, Canadians, years, yeah. and the Canadians have two years and then you're done. Yeah, selling Pardon out. Me, Mark? I said you get two years basically. If you if you break the music industry in England, you get a couple of years, and then after a couple of years, they start to tear you down again. They like to build you up, leave you there yeah. for a couple of years, and then trash your career. I'm not sure you even get a couple of years at the top. Yeah, it depends what you do. I mean, we've we have talked about this before, and I'm sure you know. There's there's this whole sort of notion of selling out because you know we were very much tied to the Bristol sound when we were kind of you know doing our thing, but we're doing pop music, and pop music is you know by its nature popular. So therefore, you you're more exposed, and people um, don't don't appreciate that if they're you know struggling in their garrets. But uh, anyway, that that's perhaps another uh, 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 another topic for another time. And Mark, you look like you want to come in again there. I do. I I had a Moog experience last weekend. Actually, uh, it was my son's birthday, and I took him to the Doctor Who festival in um, Cardiff, 
and they had Daleks and Cybermen with big red buttons on the front. You could press record, you could shout in it, and then you could press the big green button and then press play. And they weren't working properly, so I hacked them, got inside them, and discovered that they were basically uh, their soul was a Moog ring modulator on both the Dalek and the Cyberman. So I fixed them. So Ah, oh, nice. Now, <laughs> no, you must have been Cyberman. that the coolest dad in the world, fixing the Cyberman and the, yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> so if you look on my Twitter feed, you'll see all the settings for making the Dalek sound or the Cyberman sound. Nice While one. I was fixing I thought I'll photograph the, um, the, the thing and put it on Twitter so people can see what it is. Okay, brilliant. Rich, you said you wanted to come in with uh, Mr. Emerson again. Say about this. First of all, regarding Keith Emerson, let's all jump back into the time machine together and go back to 1968 and watch nice videos because there was nothing like that. Absolutely nothing like that. He was absolutely revolutionary and groundbreaking. He had marvelous technique. He was writing incredible stuff, and I defy anybody to find a piece of the prog rock generation that's superior to Tarkas as a piece of composition. It's, he was an amazing composer. As a showman, yes, he had a bit of Houdini in him. He had a bit of, you know, he was a bit of the huckster as a showman and sort of remains so, but it's that very hucksterism that makes this whole huge Moog thing appealing to people. It's the <laughs> romance behind yeah. it. Yeah, no, that's very true. Not that they didn't sound wonderful, the original Moog modulars, but nobody was clamoring for this. What this is, and boy, is this going to sound cynical, but it's true, is an attempt by the current Moog guard, that would be your friend Mike that we discussed earlier, to tie his company to the legacy that was started by Robert A. Moog. Sure. I think that's, that's what this is. Yeah, 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 absolutely. I, and, uh, you know, the, I, and Moog, with, as, as we've, we've discussed with Moogfest, has been a, you know, a, a massive success. I mean, I'm sure it's done wonders for the brand. Uh, and just, yeah, pretty, pr- pretty well done, I have to say. Um, anybody else got anything to add to this one? Uh, Robbie, you, we talked about, you've got a Moog, haven't you? You've got the, what did you, yeah. you've got the, is it the Voyager you got? Voyager Ratman, yeah. How do you find that? Because yeah. I was reading the other day, or some, I was talking to somebody yesterday actually about the Voyager that said, you know, there was something just not quite uh, in alignment perhaps with that particular synthesizer compared to maybe subsequent ones or some that gone previously. It was a, maybe a, a dip in some way. Would you, would you agree with that? Or do you think well, that's... You've got to remember, I, I'm, a, I'm a child of the 80s, so in the sense of synths and all that. So I never had a move before I had this really. So... I, when I when I was put, getting some analog stuff in the studio, I thought I want a bit of flavour of Moog and I want a bit of flavour of Oberheim. So, you know, so I've got the the Sem Pro and I've got the the Voyager Ratman, but I haven't got any experience with an old min, Mini Moog, so I don't have anything to base it on. But I do know that it has a real sonic sound like nothing else in the studio, and I do come to it for very specific things. So, you know, um, for me, it does it feels it feels that. Moog sound when I need that thing, and I but I don't have anything to base it on, so I, I couldn't possibly say whether it's better or worse. But that, it's certainly convenient, you know. That's the good thing. Yeah, no, that is good. Uh, as I said yesterday, we were um, at the rehearsal of the Moog Ensemble, and that one thing that was really interesting about that is they were uh, a couple of guys. Uh, in fact, Will was playing a Yamaha WX7, which is a wind controller via a little um, just Philip Reese MIDI box into the Mini. And so the, the expression was opening the filter and 
I swear to you, me and Andy were both there filming, and there was one point where they were there were seven of them going. There was only, there weren't even all nine of them there. There were seven of them going, and it sounded like there were actually brass players in the room. It was just mind-boggling. It was really interesting because obviously, but you know, the, the the music itself was was is incredibly intricate and very well crafted. But when it was playing in that way. It was uh, it was just really amazing, and the, and the, and the, but just the weight and the um, charisma of the the Moog instrument when it was doing that. There was a Moog mini Moog playing the, the one of the one of the main lead parts, uh, and the another mini playing the bass part, and it just it really kind of pinned it together. There were other synthesizers involved as well, but the the Moogs, uh, particularly with the expression, really did have a special something about them. But yeah, it would be great to... Uh, I wonder if they'll build... If they do build... They must be building or intending to build more than one. I mean, I'm sure that one's probably sold already. I mean, you know, there's enough people with enough money in the world who are, who are that Moog interested. I'm starting to revert to Moog rather than Moog. Uh, that um, they probably got rid of that and, and some, I'm no doubt... I was just going to say, no, I was just, just before we went on, I was just remembering Howard did a tour a few years back with um, Ringo's All-Star Band, you know, Ringo Starr, and it was, he had Greg Lake in the band and Sheila E on bass, and Howard, Howard had to learn Carnival 9 for part of the set, and I remember him, he was, for weeks and weeks, he kind of put everything, <laughs> put everything in Pro Tools and like slowed it down by about three quarters. I was just learn- meticulously learning this thing for weeks and weeks and weeks. There was no other way of getting it. Yeah. Uh, that sounds like fun. Yeah. Um, right, let's. Uh, while we're on the subject of MoFest, because I mean, you know, the, the news has been full of it, I've got this fantastic. Um, this was a, 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 by a band called the Synthetic, synthetic Things, and it's called. Uh, well, let's, we'll play it. We got a custom green body in almost every song. We got a silver anniversary for your job running strong. Here comes the chorus. That's right. Pre-chorus, I guess. Why are we not playing at Moogfest? The connection seems perfectly clear. Catchy little number that. That's uh, the synthetic things. Uh, Knoxville's uh, Tim Coon and Mitch Thomas. Uh, they were. I think they said it was more of a tribute, but it seemed to catch the imagination. I don't know how many hits that video's had, but what a great protest song it was sort of something that probably doesn't. You know, it's nice to see a protest song that's sort of almost completely trivial, but yet captures the imagination there. I don't know. What do you think, Gaz? I think they did a, did a great job there. Very yeah, totally very great. kitsch. And it just reminds me so, it's really captured whatever it was that, of that era, even the vocals. It sounded good, didn't it? Yeah, it really did. 
yeah. Uh, but they say, why did why are we not playing at Moogfest? Was that the chorus? That was it. Yes, that was the. Chorus. What, they they weren't asked to play, were they? Apparently or, not. What, what? No, I think they wanted to, right. but you know they weren't asked. But ah, oh, uh, yeah, what a great idea though to do that. It's uh... maybe they will next year. <laughs> yeah. Ah. Uh, yeah. Cool. But it sounded good though. Track sounded good. It was. Uh, yeah, I think you know if you're going to do like a protest song, why not make it sound good? Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I don't know, uh, uh, Rich. You did play at Moogfest, and uh, uh, sorry, not no. only that, I had dinner with Mitch Thomas the night before, and the other people who worked on that. Cool. And I had lunch the day of with uh, Michelle Moog. Ah, yeah. Well, we've had Michelle on the show before. Michelle Michelle Moog Kusa, is that how you pronounce it? Yeah, that's correct. That's correct. So, how what, was Moogfest buzzing? Was it kind of happening? It was. I don't know Asheville at all. Was it kind of the whole centre or is it all sort of spread about sort of too far for, for lots of people walking around in Moog t-shirts and just kind of uh, being all Moogie? <laughs> I'm not sure what the question is, but there I was more than either. one stage. There, there was an outdoor stage and then there's the theatre uh, in which the most the main concerts are held or a lot of them. I went uh, the first night there. I went to see Kraftwerk. Ah, how was that? The it was wonderful. Actually, really is, that your fir- is that your first time? Seeing Kraftwerk? Yeah. Yes. And uh, they had some of the most amazing visuals. 3D glasses. Everybody's wearing 3D glasses. They had incredible visuals, and the music was cool. Sounded great. Oh, excellent. That sounds really good. I, w- yeah. I-, I would really like to be there. I mean, obviously, we got something going with um, with Steve Dunnington, who showed us the... Uh, Oh, Werkstatt, which uh, everybody seems to be very excited about. But it was, it, yeah, it was. Um, I, I, it would be nice to see what I saw. Watch some streaming stuff. I saw the um, um, interview with uh, Giorgio Moroder. I don't know if you got a chance to see that, Robbie, or you guys. No, I didn't see, no, that. I didn't see that. No. But there was some brilliant stuff there. I did. Speaking of visuals, did you see the? Uh, there was also a bunch of videos from uh, Flying Lotus. Uh, and their visuals are just mind blowing. I'm not quite sure. I don't know much about the band, but they, the set seemed absolutely rocking. Are you aware of their stuff? I know some of their music, but I, I, I haven't seen them live. So, I mean, there's just so much going on, isn't there, with yeah. bands really pushing the envelope with live visuals? All this mapping stuff is incredible. Just what people are doing. It's uh, very exciting. It brings a, a whole new dimension to your performance, that's for sure. Do you use any of that stuff? I mean, I guess about being a DJ, are you playing the sort of clubs where they're sort of really pushing the envelope of all of that uh, show stuff? Well, you work with, obviously, a lot of different VJs who, who are doing all the mapping and, and stuff like that. So and I'm currently doing a project as well, my own solo project, uh, with a guy in LA um, who's a director. But that's more film rather than graphical it's a, it's a bit more organic and it's about film and filming. He's been out doing time lapses of the Milky Way and kind of all that stuff down at the Joshua Tree Park. And it's oh, yeah. just stunning stuff. And it, it gives you, makes your hair go up on the back of your neck. And you just think, you know, that with music it is just, it conveys another depth to what you want to see through your music, you know. Yeah, I mean, the, from what I saw of those performances, and, and I guess the Kraftwerk 3D thing just looked really, uh, really interesting as well. So, Rich, you were saying they had 3D glasses, and was it was it a, an immersive experience in the same way? Because you went to see Eamon Tobin as well, didn't you? Was it is it a similar kind of thing, or was it a different? I mean, the music's different, obviously. Yeah, they're both. 
it's similar and different. There are no real similarities in the reality of what those two groups are presenting, but that they are quite visually focused creates that part of the similarity. But musically, Kraftwerk is very distinctive as Kraftwerk, apart from Amon's stuff, which I thought was also wonderful. And uh, there was nothing in Amon. I mean, Amon's show, the staging is the video stuff, really. It's all part of one thing. With this, it was mostly projected uh, stuff. And some of the stuff that gets projected is reflected in their clothing and on those stands for the keyboards that they're using. And it's it's pretty mind-boggling how it looks. And uh, it was fun how it sounded. I really I had a great time. Excellent. And uh, as I said, I went with those guys that made that track that you just played. Yeah, brilliant. So I mean, I'm I'm guessing that the thing about that track, well, yeah, you know, they said it was more of a tribute thing. In fact, that there's plenty of mo, and it's just it's almost like a novelty record, but done in such a kind of brilliant yeah. way that it it really kind of worked well. And there, there is actually a happy ending to that video as well, because uh, uh, if I just play this, you'll 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 see what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> so he actually got to be one of he did one of the VIP engineering um uh, tickets I guess and got uh, to make a work start and and played it so there's there's a an extra happy ending there so I I was quite pleased with that one as a just as a way for it all to tie out nicely um I know Gaz. Did you mean the Sorry. circuit bending stuff? Because the circuit bending stuff looks really interesting. Oh, what the uh, I was the winner in the circuit bending challenge hall for a, for a week. <laughs> yeah, no, that did look good. In fact, I noticed the circuit bending challenge winner got onto like Gizmodo and CNET. You know, the, all of the, the it was really you know it was going everywhere. So I'm suspecting next year is going to be even more. Uh, amazing, and we're going to have to try and get there because I mean, I was, as I was watching, I was thinking, you know, we really need to be there. But it was—it's it, actually really expensive to get to Asheville at this time of year from where we are, which is kind of a shame, really. But um, I don't know. Anything you wanted to see there, Gaz? I know we probably talked about this already, but it seems like such a Moog love fest at the moment because everything is so Moogie, Moogie. Um, was it? Well, I'd like to ask Rich uh, what the sound system was like in there. Had they gone to extra trouble to get a decent PA system? Well, I don't know uh, for sure if Kraftwerk were using the house system or not, because I do know they brought in their own board. And the reason I know that is because the first night that they played, the thing quit on them in the middle of the show, uh, or so I was told. Literally went absolutely dead for like 25 minutes. Oh, I saw some news about that. Yeah, I did see. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I do know they brought their own front of house stuff, but I don't know if they actually brought the speaker amp side of that world. And the speakers that we used and that were hung for the festival was a really gorgeous L acoustics line array oh, nice. that sounded wonderful as yeah. they do. Yeah. Very good. Excellent. Um, I'm I'm just thinking of where to where to go next with this. It feels like this uh, we we kind of reached the end of the topic list. Um, I, I didn't do the interesting um, uh, the phono the phono paper. Does anyone want to have a quick look at that before we finish up? This was kind of for, I'll, I'll I'll tell you what I'll play this and then we can then we can. So why not? Thank <laughs> you. 
it's kind of crazy. This, I, I've got one here. Let's see what it makes of my face. Ah. <laughs> the microphone. <laughs> yeah. Ah, it's stop. Torn. You could do it in yeah, you could do it in free mode where you where you could. Do, I, I tried. I was trying to draw sort of lines and squiggles on pieces of paper and play them, but you can print out sounds and analyze audio. It's a free app, um, and it's called uh, Phono Paper for iOS, and it's just a crazy, crazy sort of concept. Really, I don't really know why I um, why I even bothered with it. It's a it, cool thing. It's, Nick. A, cool it's th- a really cool thing. <laughs> uh, it's by Alexander. Is it Zol- Zolotov? Zolotov, him of uh, Sunvox and ANS. Do you remember that we covered that ANS synthesizer? Ah, yeah, thing? okay. It's the same. It's the same. Uh, it's the same chap who's behind that. Um, but it's nice, isn't it? If you put it in the free mode, I, I, I found it quite interesting uh, because you can feel of if you move the iPad very, very slowly, you can get a very tight granularity to the to the to the to the sound. You know, very, very subtle changes. Um, Obviously, the sound is fairly limited, but yeah, um, I, must, yeah. I admit I, playing Takata on photo paper is a bit of a limited <laughs> idea to me. Uh, you know, I think, really- I think, I think for me, what was quite interesting was by holding the iPad and just sliding it around a little bit, but but looking at the camera, you could feel this tiny amount of movement. So it opened my mind to uh, how you could use a, a you know a, a camera, a visual thing, as a controller. You know. mm, yeah, that's something that was quite interesting. Perhaps, yeah, as you say, Robbie, perhaps uh, slightly limited, um, but uh, kind of good for. And it's free. I mean, what's not to like? Yeah. Um, I tell you what, I was going to do. I, th- there was one other thing that uh, I wanted to check out, and this is the uh, tape op uh, piece, which was uh, uh, wise words. Now I'm just trying to see if I've got it here. Um, that's right. This is on Tape Op Magazine. Uh, this is uh, what makes a good recording engineer, and there's sort of 10 points. Uh, be humble, attention to detail, always admit a mistake, make sure the, uh, certain the artists understand your role. There's some interesting ones here. My God, there's tons of them. I hadn't read all of them. I didn't know. One, and uh, Dave Spears, who didn't make it onto the show this week, uh, said one of the things, never say that sounds like insert name <laughs> of other artist here, which I thought, oh, you know what? I think I've done that a few times. And uh, that's probably why I never got that job again. But uh, some in uh, tape op is actually a really good resource. There, there's some some great stuff here. Uh, I'll see who actually put this together. This was uh, John Cunibert, I believe. Uh, any of them? Any of any of those in there? Kind of any truisms or uh, perhaps you know funny angles there? I know Mark. Haven't heard from you from a little while. Did you check that out? Um, I did check it out, and absolutely number sixteen. If you don't play an instrument, start now. Absolutely essential. If you want to work as a sound engineer or a tape op or around musicians, at least have a rudimentary understanding of what it is like to play an instrument. That's a really good. That's that is actually a great tip, a really good tip. Yeah, Uh, I like equipment is a bad sign. (laughs) The what? Sorry. Dirty equipment is a bad sign. Yeah, but you've got kind of your 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 equipment is almost forensically clean. It's, it's actually very dusty at the moment. I, it needs a whole overall. But... He has to clean me before I come in the studio. <laughs> oh dear, that sounds a bit bad. <laughs> got a lot of cotton buds that you don't use for cleaning tape heads anymore, right? 
<laughs> I've got one of those machines you walk through, you know, like sort of when they try and get radioactive matter off you or whatever it is. It's like a hoover, a giant all-body hoover. Yeah, that's right, yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Rich, I mean, you you still doing a lot of engineering yourself. I mean, some good advice in there? I didn't see it, Nick. Ah, okay. No, I fair enough. You, unable to prepare for this. You've been, but, I mean, uh, but perhaps, uh, well, that aside, I mean, what do you think is the kind of the primary, uh, you know, outside of ability, obviously, what, what are the kind of primary requirements to being a good engineer, do you think? I don't think you can top be a musician. Yeah, that's a- as as being a good for being a good engineer. In fact, I am constantly amazed by good engineers who aren't don't really know anything about music. But uh, I, I, it's it's a very complicated subject it, it, to encapsulate it into one single piece of advice. <laughs> disrespectful to the magnitude of shit you have to learn, pardon the expression, in order to do it well. I will th- I think that's fair enough. Um Gaz. Uh number eight, never get stoned during a session. That's good <laughs> advice. Oh, For yeah. engineering, you know. Engineering really? goes out the window. Uh you know, you start plugging ins to you know, ins back into ins, outs into you know, plugging. And your ears MIDI go dull, in- don't they? That's oh. right. So you have to turn the treble up and turn it up and the next day you walk in and go, Oh my god, what have I done? Uh, I think the be humble is a really, really important one. Um, Well, that's number one on the list here, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I think that's a good, I think that's, I think that's a good, uh, you know, I think that's amazing. Good people do lose track of that. Oh, look, I don't know if you can see that. There is actually a kind of glass mug which says proud parent of a recording engineer on it. That's it. What a great thing to own. I think I'd like to get... (laughs) Maybe if I can persuade my daughter to be a recording engineer, I'll get her to have one of those as well. Um... Okay, well, it seems like um, we've probably exhausted our our, our topics. It's interesting um, that uh, uh, that this one uh, ah, oh, there was another one, but we'll we'll because Gaz, uh, sorry, Robbie, you you brought in the the notion of the the samples there, which I think we'll save till next week as a because it's such an interesting story and there's uh, there's a lot of non news and. Uh, other things tied up with it but um what we'll do well we're gonna say we'll go to you rich because rich um you you must be kind of getting to what what time is it there where you are right now past midnight on the first of may thursday ah okay so you're about five six hours seven hours six hours ahead seven hours ahead All right okay so seven from you seven twelve from my home and seven from you so you hanging out in china at all or are you going to going straight back on the plane tomorrow or Home tomorrow. Uh, Home in five hours, actually. Oh, wow. Oh, well, you need to get to sleep. You need to go to bed, my friend. <laughs> get some yeah, sleep. I'd rather, I'd rather talk to you guys. Oh, uh, well, that's very kind. <laughs> I hope you have a great flight back and uh, all uh, it all goes wonderful and you have a lovely breakfast. I mean, what would you have for Thank breakfast you. in China? The, uh, the usual stuff. I slept through breakfast today, so I couldn't tell you. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> and tomorrow we're out of here at five in the morning, so I'm not going to find out then either. Uh, so you know, whatever. I don't know what they eat for breakfast here, but 
You we're going straight home. I spent less than 36 hours here in total, and we're going home. Wow. That's crazy, isn't it? That's that, That's just the way it goes. So, yes, there we go. Anyway, Rich, thank you very much for joining us, Rich. Of course, Keyboards with Sheik, where he's back home to the bosom of his family, but after just playing in China. So thank you very much for joining us, Rich. And I'm, I'm pleased to say the internet has held up. It seems to have a throttled bandwidth, but it's not been, you know, it still works, which is cool. And uh, they obviously allow Skype, which is great to know. Yeah, they do. I guess you must have killed the outgoing video feed, which I think helped it a lot. Because mm. I don't see any of you. I haven't been seeing anybody. Since ah, no, back. no, we didn't. Oh, well, I, all I'm seeing is a blank screen for oh, interesting. incoming video. But it's fine. Leave it. Don't change it. It's all good. Well, it's a bit late now. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry about fine. that. Okay. Yeah. Uh, well, thank you very much for joining us, Rich. And we look forward to speaking to you again. And, of course, we'll go to uh, Robbie and Andy there in uh, Sushi Friday Music's Control Center. Um, so when are we going to start hearing some of this stuff in its completion? Well, we've, we've pretty much finished the first track. And the second one, I reckon, another three-day stint. Yeah, and another session. session. So it's just whether we start drip-feeding stuff out or we wait till we've got a body of work. I don't know. What do you guys think? What do you think about that whole thing? It's kind of mm. People are very divided about that these days, aren't they? I'm... Track. I'm sorry, go, guys. Track when it's finished, get it up. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I think. That's... Yeah. Just get it out there in the world. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. think that's true because the thing is you can build momentum then and then go, all oh, right, well, actually, you know, maybe I'll make a bit more time for this because uh, this has gone down so well that uh, I want to I want to do some more as soon as possible, I guess. I think that's exactly. good, good advice. Yeah. Andy, I'm looking at your body language. <laughs> You're perhaps not in agreement. Arms folded there. Oh, no, no, no. That's just me. I get, I get a bit itchy. I can only sit still for about 10 minutes, so a whole hour. <laughs> Is, uh, so I'm holding myself you've down. Done, you've done very well. Uh, thank, thanks for having me. It's been uh, it's been great. Well, uh, hopefully we'll get you again. Maybe we'll, our our, uh, our worlds will collide again in the future, and we can uh, we can have you on again because it certainly works. For That'd me. be amazing for me. Anyway, so Robbie Bronneman and Andy Hunter. Uh, if you go to Facebook, Sushi Friday Music. Uh, yeah. or, yes, it is Sushi Friday Music. Uh, Facebook.com forward slash Sushi Friday Music will get you where you need to go and you can see what they've been up to. In fact, there should be a whole bunch of new stuff up there from yeah. this previous yeah. session. Yeah. New videos up there, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Excellent. Well, thank you very much. I'll also say thank you to Mark Tinley. Mark Tinley's over there in uh, Glastonbury. And um, You're very welcome. Are you going to be doing any more of your talks or is this, was this the beginning of a series or is it just a one-off? Music workshops. Yeah. yeah, we're going to do some more music workshops. We're going to do some more experiments. We've learned a whole load of things from people from the first one. Uh, we're going to modify it a bit and there was nowhere near enough time to even get into it. So we're going to do like a daytime one that spans through a whole day or maybe even a whole weekend. We could do a residential. How about wow, that? That, that sounds really great. exciting. Yeah, nice one. Anyway, Mark, thank you very much for joining us. Yeah, very well. Ever. And Gaz Williams there, gazwilliams.me over there in Bristol. Are you on the iPad again today? Yeah. God, it's such great video quality, I must say. I'm very impressed with that. Uh, yeah. Um, Bitwig! Ah, <laughs> that's yes. Not, that's Gaz, on is, my mind. Gaz is looking at Bitwig. And uh, uh, how are you finding it? Because obviously a lot of the stuff that we've been hearing is, you know, is, is just Ableton comparisons. But is, is there more to it than that? I think it's interesting how they take the Ableton protocol, if you will, and use that as the starting block. You know, you could actually say that a lot of the others maybe copied Cubase or whatever, you know. So in a way, 
it's using that workflow that was initiated by live and it does take it other places but i think it's quite interesting uh to be comparing a version one release with a version nine release yeah of course. Uh, but there is some very unique things about bitwig so you know what i what i quite like is that one door will bring out something and then you know daw should i say <laughs> uh and then that will inspire another one and that will inspire another one. So uh, there, there's, there's a few functions that I think that's within Bitwig that uh, I think... Um, we'll see elsewhere. <laughs> well, I'd like to see elsewhere because it's, it's blooming makes a lot of sense. Very good. Well, we'll look forward to seeing that. Um, Gaz is going to be doing uh, some... Uh, uh, some pieces on Bitwig for us in the not too distant future and again we'll also be having a little bit of the uh, interview I had with Will and the Moog Ensemble um, which uh, I'm hoping I haven't seen the footage yet I'm hoping it's come out because it was a bit impromptu we were there for another purpose but uh, uh, so I'm looking forward to that and once again uh, if you want to see uh, want to win uh, rather um, your copy of Isotope uh, please tweet RX3 Audio Rescue as the hashtag uh, at Sonic Nick and at Isotope Inc. Uh, we've got a little search looking for it uh, and it will basically, um, at the, uh, next week we'll pick a winner and I think next week there's going to be some uh, different competition and um, we can win some other products. So that's it for this week. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you to all our guests and thank you to everybody in the chat room. Uh, fulsome chat room. I'm even going to say it twice. Um, so yes, thank you very much everybody and oh gosh, there is is a good amount in there. So um that's it for this week. I will now fade to black. Actually, I might play out with a little bit more of the um, of this. How are you? No, not that. This. <laughs> Just so we could give them a bit more of a plug. Synthetic things. Do check them out. They've only got three videos up, and this is one of them, and it's really good. 